Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. I'm Jessica Knoll. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. That's the rustling of Chris Ingalls and his family quickly packing their bags, zipping them up, and leaving behind their Seattle, Washington home following an unexpected and unsettling call. In January, I was summoned to the United States Attorney's Office in Seattle. They just said, we need to talk to you right away. And I could tell by the voice on the other end of the phone that it was urgent. I didn't really ask any questions. I went into the U.S. Attorney's Office and there are two FBI agents uh, and the United States Attorney that's prosecuting this case sitting across the table from me and they said we believe that adam waffen has targeted you we think they could be coming to your house and we think they could be coming to your house this weekend so that of course was very concerning to me and they didn't give me any names and didn't give me any information at that point sure enough days later he receives a threatening letter in his mailbox at home it's from adam waffen a violent extremist group it reads Two can play at this game, each word separated with a swastika, with a graphic underneath showing masked characters with weapons, the words death to pigs, and a reporter standing in front with the word phony across his face. What I haven't told you yet is that Chris Ingalls is an investigative journalist with King 5 in Seattle, and he started digging into the extremist group last year. And then, without a choice, he unwittingly becomes the subject of his own investigation, but more on that later. This is where his investigation into Adam Waffen all started. A source told me last summer that the FBI had been poking around with um, local prosecutors, the city of Seattle prosecutors, the city attorney's office, and the King County prosecutors, asking questions about whether they could use Washington's red flag laws to seize the firearms from a neo-Nazi group leader who was based in Washington state. I'd never heard of this group. They call themselves the Adam Waffen Division. Adam Waffen is German for nuclear weapons or atomic weapons. Um, But what I quickly learned was that this group had been active in Washington state for at least a couple of years. Adam Waffen is very secretive and diligent about who they allow into their organization. You don't just uh, send an email and sign up with Adam Waffen. They want to vet the people who are their members. Um, so, yes, I mean, I've, I've never heard an official count from anybody, but some excellent reporting by uh, ProPublica and the New York Times uh, and some other news organizations puts their number at maybe 150, 200 members across the country. A small group, but worrisome because they're so violent. The group holds what's considered a hate camp in Washington state, where like-minded people from across the country join the other members in the wilderness. They run a firearms training camp with live fire exercises and show off their deep hatred for others. But what are they training for exactly? 
race wars. One man in a video points the gun at the camera to direct trainees what to do. Point it at them and pull the trigger. The only right they deserve is the right of lead. Hail Hitler. Uh, they burned, you know, the Israeli national flag, other flags, you know, um, other groups that they um, advocate uh, going to war with, basically. You know, a race war is what they, was what they uh, shout in these videos that I'd seen online about the group. As he said earlier, Chris's investigation into Adam Waffen took a deep dive into the controversial red flag law since this group's violent nature landed on the FBI's radar. So that, that obviously made it very interesting to me. I'd covered the red flag law in Washington state for some time. It, it's, it's kind of new and evolving law. And the fact that the FBI, the feds, were trying to tap into that was very interesting to me. So our investigation started in the summer of 2019. Many people know that a felon is not allowed to own a handgun or a firearm. Red flag laws are designed to look for the gaps, the, the, to, to get firearms from people who may not be convicted of felony crimes, but who there's an argument that can be made they shouldn't be possessing firearms. So a red flag law is a civil law, not a criminal law, where you a prosecutor or police officers go into court and they try to convince a judge that this person is an extreme risk to themselves or others. Using a red flag law... A judge can order someone to surrender their weapons, their firearms, to the police, usually for a one-year period. And it's a controversial law because it is a civil action, right? I mean, we're putting up the Second Amendment here, you know, the right to keep and bear arms uh, up against, you know, this civil forfeiture of your firearms and your rights. So it's a controversial type of law, but it's one that Washington has had now for a couple of years. It's typically used against people who are suicidal, people who are threatening to take their own lives. But in certain instances, police will use it when someone threatens someone else. Uh, they'll convince a judge that this person is an extreme risk to others, and the judge will order that person's firearms seized by police. So Chris started mining the internet, searching for Adam Waffen pages, finding secret chat rooms, and watching hate-filled videos online. You had to dig a little deeper uh, to these various websites to find them. But once we started getting into the, the deeper, darker internet, we started turning up some of these videos that showed that they were preaching a race war. They were advocating a race war. They were training for a race war. Uh, they believed in the teachings of Adolf Hitler. Uh, we all know about him. Um, you know, less well-known is you know, the 1960s mass murderer, Charles Manson. And for some crazy reason, these guys believe that Charles Manson, who was a, you know, a violent racist himself, was right. And they, you know, read his teachings as well. So Adolf Hitler and Charles Manson were their two guide stars, um, which was very concerning in and of itself. But also for me as a reporter in Seattle, Washington, what was tremendously interesting was that they were actually in Washington state uh, training uh, with firearms. They were out in the woods running around, you know, having, uh, you know, these firearms training exercises. That's when the name Caleb Cole first came to his attention. He's a self-proclaimed leader of the Adam Waffen's Washington State Division. So we started digging around more and found that the Washington uh, participants really did not have significant criminal records. The leader of the cell in Washington is a guy named Caleb Cole. 
and Caleb had some minor tangles with the law. He was only in his mid-20s, um, but he didn't have a significant criminal record. And and so, you know, it became very interesting because here we had their presence in Washington, but we didn't really have any crimes on the record in Washington. In other parts of the country, there are three Adam Waffen members who are right now either accused or convicted of murders in other states. So clearly these are people who are potentially dangerous. Um, but the Washington state element that was of great interest to us was the fact that they were just present in our state. Over the summer, the FBI's Seattle office got a civil extreme risk protection order known as the Red Flag Law against Cole because of the hate camps and his massive collection of weapons. Since there isn't a federal red flag law, the FBI turned to the Regional Firearms Enforcement Unit, made up of the Seattle Police, City Attorney, and King County Prosecutor, to put the order into action. And in October 2019, police seized a dozen guns, including untraceable, homemade AR-15s from Caleb Cole's parents' house. A month later, on November 4th, Cole, along with fellow Adam Waffen member Aiden Bruce Umbaugh of Olympia, Washington, were pulled over for speeding in Texas. Inside the car, police found marijuana, an AR-15, two AK-47s, and a handgun, as well as thousands of rounds of ammunition. Garza County Sheriff Terry Morgan in Texas says it looked like the two men were ready for something. They had so many clips loaded, fully loaded. Uh, they didn't military uh, police type tactics. They had like four 40 round clips loaded, had them where they could attach them to a vest. But every clip they had was completely loaded, like they were ready to go do something right then. Uh, so that really caught our attention. We ran the, the plates on the car. They came back on a watch list of terrorists and we contacted the FBI and that's when we learned what, what we had. Cole was let go because Bruce Umbaugh took full responsibility for the load of weapons in the car, and the sheriff knows why he took the rap. Because he's not the leader. I mean, you know, he's, he's with the leader of the group out of, out, of, out of Seattle. And, you know, the leader doesn't take the fall. The men under him do. Handcuffed inside an interrogation room, Bruce Umbaugh, who sits smiling, wearing an orange jumpsuit, talks to investigators. I actually used to have a drug problem, like, back when I was younger. I had a real drug problem. Like, and I've been clean for like two years and never got in any trouble for it. And now it's like, well, here I am across into Texas with like a tiny bit of weed and hash oil. And then here I am. The FBI interviews Bruce Umbaugh after his arrest, but it's not about the weed in his car. But I, I have a feeling you guys aren't here to talk to me about the weed. Well, that, what do you think we're here to talk to you about? Well, I assume you're here because of my swastika flag and my firearms. In a jailhouse recording, he tells his girlfriend what happened during that traffic stop with who he calls his best friend for life. And they said, well, well, why? Why didn't they arrest him? I said, well, it was all mine. And uh, he, since he had just had his guns taken, I wasn't about to say they were his. Yeah, no, no, you, no, and I know. And, and always he's, he's been my best friend for my life. You know, I'm not going to throw him under the bus. His anger escalates on that recorded call. No, I'm a political prisoner. My God, if I didn't already have reason to hate the f***ing system. When the 23-year-old admits to the possession of drugs and firearms in the car, prosecutors were able to charge him with a gun crime because of a statute prohibiting drug users from possessing firearms. 
And for that, he faces up to 10 years in federal prison. Prosecutors in Washington did ultimately issue a warrant for Cole for violating the red flag law, the unlawful possession of firearm by person prohibited by extreme risk protection order for possessing those firearms during the Texas traffic stop. But soon, just as Chris Ingalls begins peeling back the layers of this onion, uncovering information about the white supremacist group, he finds himself in their sights, their newest target. You know, this is where this story turns personal for me. And not just him, but also his family. You know, as soon as the FBI said that you're on Adam Waffen's list and they could be coming to your house, my wife and I, we have three kids, we decided we're going to get out of the house. There was no reason to stay at home. The FBI actually ran a surveillance for that weekend. Whatever information they had, they thought it was strong enough that, that someone could be coming to my house that weekend. So they, they sat outside and they watched. Uh, there was one um, Seattle police officer who works for the Joint Terrorism Task Force who was posted right outside my house. Uh, maybe others were in the area as well. I don't know. But we weren't there. Um, and, and so nothing happened that weekend. And, you know, the FBI just said, hey, um, it didn't happen this weekend, but that doesn't mean that this is all over. And sure enough, just three or four days later, I remember it was a Wednesday evening, I went out to the mailbox and there was a strange looking letter in the mail. It uh, had a Santa Claus sticker on it. And, you know, we're well past Christmas at this point. And I, I just called the FBI and I said, this doesn't look right to me. And they said, yeah, bring that letter into us and let us open it. <clears throat> and sure enough, it was a threatening letter, a poster from uh people who claimed they were with Adam Waffen. So that was the real threat that they delivered to me. It came in the mail. In his three decades as a journalist, this was something that has never happened to him before, and he didn't take it lightly. What made this so absolutely unusual is that instead of me going to the police and saying, hey, I'm concerned about this guy, this was the FBI coming to me and saying, hey, you should know this. So that has never happened to me before. I mean, there have been people who have made threats or made comments, times you might have concern when you work in this very public business that happens to you. But the idea that the feds came to me and said, hey, you need to be looking over your shoulder, that was exceptional to me and, and pretty frightening. He wrote a column about his experience for King5.com. In his words, a chain of events unfolded quickly after that meeting. My family and I left our house for several days and stayed in a hotel. King 5 assigned a 24-hour armed security team to follow us wherever we went. Other security measures that I don't want to reveal were swiftly put into place. The weekend came and went with no sign of Adam Waffen at my house. I'm grateful to Wes, the Seattle police officer, who sat outside my house on what ended up being a boring weekend detail. The letter that arrived in my mailbox four days later was apparently part of Adam Waffen's plan B, an alternative to coming to my house to deliver the message in person. His column goes on. One guy sent a message asking, why all the fuss about a poster delivered to your house? Why are you tying up investigators who should be out there looking for real terrorists? Here's my answer. Adam Waffen is believed to be a small group of people, maybe 150 members or so across the country. But consider this. Before Tuesday's arrest, four members of Adam Waffen we're already sitting in prison. Three of those guys are facing murder charges from three separate murder cases, and the fourth possessed the materials to make bombs in a plot to blow up various sites. 
Four guys in this small group are behind bars for plotting or committing murder or mayhem. Yes, it's just a poster that was sent to my house, but it was so much more than just a piece of paper. But Chris wasn't alone. Their target list included journalists across the country um, and activists of the groups that they, you know, are, you know, that Adam Waffen is opposed to. I think of the Anti-Defamation League as an example. Um, So, yes, there were people across the country that were targeted. Uh, It was also reported by some national news organizations that another member of Adam Waffen had uh, threatened a member of the Trump cabinet, you know, the Homeland Security chief, Christian Nielsen. Um, So uh, they they were scattergun, you know, it was a scattergun approach for them. They were trying to, you know, they were trying to... um, I mean, this is what the federal prosecutor said after the fact. They believe they were just trying to scare reporters like me into not covering them anymore. They were getting too much attention and they were trying to tamp that down. But the threat against him wasn't going to stop him from reporting the truth. I did take the threat seriously and I still do. I still have to take security measures for me and my family. But no, it didn't stop us from doing the reporting that we we do. In fact, we put stories on the air almost immediately after I got that letter because there were developments uh, involving Adam Waffen. Um, you know, that group was very active at that time, and uh, we were going to continue to report on that. Even as his family was in a hurry to leave their home, he had his reporter hat on, documenting every move. I'd never been through anything like that. And the I remember I called my wife as soon as I was leaving the U.S. Attorney's Office after the FBI told me that Adam Waffen could be on its way. And started. we got the kids out of the house, just packed bags. And right away, the journalism, the journalist side of me kicked in because I pulled out my cell phone camera and started documenting even my kids packing. And, of course, like a regular person, I'm sitting there thinking, what an idiot. Why are you doing this? Why are you worrying about the journalism side of this when you need to get your family out of the house? But... I did realize that what I could offer in this situation is what I ask from people in my 30-year career, you know. What was it like for you? Do you have any documentation? Can you show me what it was like? Can you give me an example? And I had the ability to sort of uh, follow this story from the very beginning, and that's what I started doing. But when you turn into one of the subjects of your own investigation, is it ethical to report on it still? There are some journalistic ethics issues, right? When you're part of a story, can you report on it? I mean, I think those are discussions that I've got to continue to have with my bosses every step of the way. But I think, um, you know, the white nationalism and the white supremacy and the violence, particularly associated with with a group like Adam Waffen, are a very viable story right now. Uh, And this is a very concerning issue that America is facing right now. So I want to figure out ways that I can continue to report on that. His reporting on Adam Waffen is part of a bigger picture when it comes to terrorist groups in the U.S. Yeah, these four, really five individuals are locked up. But there are other like-minded people out there um, who are sharing information about me and other reporters. Um, If I can just sort of sidestep uh, a little bit. There's a group out there called The Base, and, you know, the Arabic word for The Base is Al-Qaeda. And The Base is another violent white supremacist group that really follows the decentralized terrorist uh, template of Al-Qaeda 
in that they want lone wolves to carry out their terrorist attacks. You know, the base provides information about where people may be. Here's this journalist's address. They put it out in these secret chat rooms or on these various websites. And then, hey, if you want to go get this guy, you go get him. And that's the really scary thing. These these groups are very nimble and they're changing uh, their their processes as law enforcement and the media catch on. Some have made the point to Chris Ingalls regarding freedom of speech for all. But he says it's about so much more. And it's dangerous. People talk about the, you know, the freedom of speech and government may be going after these guys because, you know, because of their hate speech. You know, I want to be very clear on what Adam Waffen is. Adam Waffen preaches that they want to speed up what they see as the coming race war. They're accelerationists. That's what they're, they're called. And they believe that there will be a war of whites against minorities. And they're arming themselves for that war. They're training for that war. And they're eager to kick that war off. That's what they're all about. So it's more than speech. It's their activity. It's what they're doing that has got them in trouble with the law. And people who say that they're being targeted because of what they believe, that's just not seeing the full picture. These people are telling us that they are dangerous. And that's why I think the FBI has put so much work into investigating this group. As of February, the FBI arrested four of those suspected neo-Nazi members for conspiring to threaten and intimidate journalists and activists including the 24-year-old Washington leader, Caleb Cole, 24-year-old Cameron Brandon Shea of Washington, 20-year-old Taylor Ashley Parker DeBepi of Florida, and 20-year-old Johnny Roman Garza of Arizona. Three of those four names I had never heard of. Uh, Caleb Cole is very familiar to us because he's the leader of the Adam Waffen cell in Washington state. He's a recruiter. He's an organizer. He's one of the thought leaders of that group. And he's the one who was subject to that red flag order where the Seattle police and the FBI went and they seized, you know, nine or 10 firearms from his parents' house in Arlington. Um, But those other names were totally unfamiliar to me until the FBI came calling and warned me about those guys. The four suspects are also accused of using encrypted online chat to identify minorities to intimidate. Cole is currently in custody and charged with cyberstalking and sending threats through the mail to Chris Ingalls and others, including a Tampa journalist and a Phoenix magazine writer. He's awaiting trial in Seattle. However, in light of the recent global pandemic, two of those arrested are no longer in custody. Two of them have been released Um, primarily because of COVID-19 concerns in the federal prisons. So two are in prison and two are out and back in, one is in Arizona and one is in Florida. The two Washington state men are still in prison. That's Brandon Shea and Caleb Cole. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com odyssey. That's greenlight.com odyssey. 
Jessica, this is a little different from a lot of our, our stories on True Crime Chronicles, but what a what a or, ordeal for one of, uh, you know, uh, our reporters to go through. And, you know, we don't always have a reporter talk about personal experiences, but he talks about that, how he felt like he had sort of a job to do to tell this story about this extremist group in the Pacific Northwest. It's very rare that, that journalists become the subject of the story. You know, it's one of those things that we're taught in journalism school, don't become the subject of your story. And he really didn't have a choice in this. And so he talks about how that affected him and his family, but also how he wanted to continue his investigation because it was a part of a bigger picture for terrorist groups across the country. And so while he was still very cautious, he he didn't let it deter his investigation into this group. And and obviously it was it was a scare tactic. And it's one that they have used, as you heard in the episode, uh, to other journalists and, and other activists who look into this group to try to scare them away from covering them. And that wasn't going to happen in this case. And and he told me, you know, he he's been in close contact with his managers and everyone as he continues to do this story, because there are developments, as as you know, with the arrests and, and with uh, trials pending and things like that. So he's, he's cautious, but he's c- continuing the story as any um, good journalist would do. Not to diminish the dangers of previous iterations of American neo-Nazis, but the members of this new wave are not what I would consider to be typical white supremacists. These guys seem to be young, well-spoken. They don't really strike me as rural survivalists. They live in cities, and they have the added benefit of social media amplification and organization. They can sneak around online and recruit other young, disillusioned white males, as well as find out a lot of information on potential targets. And while they are still a tiny group in the scheme of things, it's still really important to remember that one of their heroes in Charles Manson and his cult were a tiny group. And there was much tighter gun control laws in the 60s than there is today. And look at the destruction that Manson's group was able to cause. And these new guys have been stocking a lot of firepower and they have the training to understand how to use it, which is a very scary recipe. But one of the things that they do have in common with neo-Nazi groups of uh, today and, 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 and of the past is that they revere Hitler um, as, as well as Manson. I don't know if it's radically different, Spencer, and you didn't say that, from previous iterations of of supremacists or groups like this. I mean, yes, certainly they have probably more tools, more technology, uh, but it sounds like they're still out in the woods training for a race war. I think one of the things that this group has that maybe groups of the past don't have is that connection with social media to recruit, to see who they're letting in and not letting in. So I think, you know, even if they're recruiting in the dark web side of things, they still have that social media aspect to where they can really start to do their own investigations into who they're letting in um, and who wants to be members. And Chris Ingalls did a lot of investigating in the dark web to find them and to find these videos that you hear in this episode with them in the woods doing training exercises and, uh, you know, that the one gentleman who is pointing a gun to the camera. And and uh, actually, once this episode airs, I will post 
the story that Chris Ingalls did that actually shows that guy in the video pointing the camera, pointing the gun at the camera. All right, Jessica, thanks for bringing us the story this week and also to Chris Ingalls at King in Seattle. Uh, really wild stuff. Uh, and next week, I will be covering the story of a young girl under two years old who uh, was well, basically went missing in Maine uh, years back. And it's one of the probably one of the biggest cases in Maine's uh, recent history in terms of uh, a missing person. All right, Jessica, where can people learn more about us? We are on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can join our Facebook group, Inside the Crime Vault, where we discuss this and other cases. And as I mentioned earlier, we will post some articles that Chris Ingalls did, including his column and some of these videos that we talk about and and you hear in this episode. And you can tell us some stories that you think we should look at, uh, some cases to cover in that group as well. And that's Inside the Crime Vault on Facebook. If you like True Crime Chronicles and you like this episode, please give us a like and a subscribe, um, and please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. All right, we'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.